Good morning. Uh, on this Memorial Day slash rainy weekend, it wasn't supposed to rain because I'm, I don't know if y'all know this, but pastors are kind of crazy. And so we check the weather every single day. But the only day I really care about, because I don't care what it does Monday through Friday or actually Saturday. I just want to know what it's going to do on Sunday. So all week, I'm like, yes, 0% chance of rain. This is going to be incredible. And then it's freaking raining outside, so I'm just kind of sad, because that's seven out of nine, by the way, rain, so obviously I'm not praying circles very well, because I've really been trying, but <clears throat> anyway, I do want to say, if today's your first time, we are pumped up that you're here on Memorial Day weekend, and that you decided to come, and I really believe you're going to enjoy today's message, specifically, um, <clears throat> I apologize, specifically what we're discussing, and that's um, praying in circles, learning how to pray more fervently, more, more deliberately, and, and not just throw out like blanket things of just, you know, I'm, I'm just going to pray for everybody in my life and all the missionaries around the world and, and just throw it out there, but, but be specific in what we do. So before I get into it, I just want to say this, because um, my message isn't on Memorial Day, and I know some people do that, and they put the flags up, and they do this big um, hoopla. Listen, our whole goal here and I, we don't apologize for this. We're not mad at churches that do it the other way. We think they're awesome. Uh, we just feel like this is our mission, is to reach the least, the lost, and the lonely with the gospel and see life change happen as a result. So everything that we do in this church, everything that we do is specifically with this in mind so that we can reach lost people. And that's why we do what we do, and we don't apologize. We love people. We try not to hurt people's feelings, but we do all these things. And so... For instance, on, on Mother's Day, I didn't preach on mothers, and it wasn't because I hate moms. I love moms, especially my wife and my mama and the people in my life. We love them. It's just we, we go with the sermon series, and that particular time it was this. And so that's why we do what we do. So for Memorial Day, I'm not mad at America, and I'm not mad at our troops, and I'm grateful. I want you all to know this. For the people that came before us and they gave their lives so that I can stand up here and have the freedom to preach, I'm grateful. And so I do want to say this morning, I have had family serve and even pass, and we are grateful beyond what we can say in a couple minutes for those people. Memorial Day is not about barbecue, even though I do like barbecue, and I will eat some tomorrow. Memorial Day is remembering the people that gave their lives for us. And so we honor them, and we're grateful for them. And, uh, and I did wear a red, white, and blue shirt to show that I appreciate Memorial Day, people. So... That's what that is. All right, so the last two weeks we started a series called Circle Makers, and it's about this guy named Honey, who about 100 years before Jesus, he got his staff. And you saw the picture this morning. He, he drew a circle in the sand because it hadn't rained for seven years and <clears throat> may have been the worst drought in the history of Israel, and it was overwhelming, and, and there was, it was so desolate. And he got in the middle of the circle. The people thought he was crazy, and he said, I will not leave this circle until God brings the rain. People thought he was nuts, but that's exactly what happened, and God brought the rain. And then last week, we discussed Moses, who was overwhelmed with the, with the responsibility of 600,000 people that he had to deal with, not to mention the little kids and babies. He was overwhelmed with that. And so what he had to do was he had to go to God and say, look, God, I've got this responsibility. What do you want me to do? And that's when we discussed God saying, look, is my arm too short? And so in prayer... We have to be willing to step into the circle and we have to be willing to ask ourselves, do we really believe that God is that big or do we believe we have to fix everything? Like, does God have an arm that's been shortened or is he really who he says he is? And so today, it's going to be more practical. Um, so I want you to put like your, 
It's so weird to say this because I always hated school until I taught school. So, but I do need you to put your thinking caps on and like get your pens and papers ready because this is what I want you to do. Today is more of let's do it. Today is more of let's get, let's get the, the staff out and let's draw a circle. Today I'm going to teach you specifically, this is what, pray hard. We're going to get in the circle and we're going to start making circles and this is exactly how you do it, okay? So the whole key to this is working hard and it doesn't sound like that's prayer. Because listen, let's be honest, this is what I think of as prayer and so in the past and probably y'all feel the same way that I do um, prayer is just, you throw out a request to God, right? You just say, all right, God, uh, take care of this, and you're awesome. You're the Holy One, so you should better take care of this. Amen. And everything should be taken care of, and that's what we really think about prayer. But prayer is persistence, and it's hard work, and that's where we're going today. So um, they did this study a few years ago, and it was actually um, a, a university study, but they did a study a few years ago to find out why Japanese students test so much better than American students in math. And so they just sat them down. They gave, them in, they gave first graders the identical test, identical test. And basically, to be honest with you, they could not solve it. And they knew that it was basically impossible for them to solve it, but they had a theory behind it and they wanted to see it. Why were the American students doing so much worse in math than the Japanese students at exactly the same age? And what they found is so interesting. The American students tried for almost nine minutes. They worked hard. They tried really hard, but for almost nine minutes and they quit. On average, they quit after about nine minutes. And the Japanese students tried for about 13 minutes. And the difference is they cared so much more. They tried almost 50% more than the American students. It had nothing to do, literally, their findings were had nothing to do with IQ. Had nothing to do with, with Japanese students are smarter. And listen, people, people have done stereotypes now, well, the Asian kids are just smarter. That's, that's not the case. They work harder. They are more persistent, and that's why that they have advanced beyond American kids. They have a better work ethic, and they've moved past it, but it is not brains. It is smarts, and that is exactly what it's like to pray, exactly what it's like to pray, because in the blanket prayers that we give, we want to see God move mountains immediately. We want to see the things in our life that are so difficult change, and yet what we do is we look like the American kids taking the first grade test. We're like, I'm going to try. This, this stinks. I can't do it. I give up. And even though the Japanese kids could not get the answers right, they did not give up. And I believe that's the reason that today they may be more advanced in schools than we are. We blame teachers all the time. But it may be the personality of our people because, listen, this is what happens to us. I'm spoiled, and I get what I want, so when I don't get my way, I give up. And that's the way that we've taught our kids in school. If you don't get your way, just throw your hands up and give up. You always get your way, and it's a me problem. Because a lot of times when I look myself in the mirror and I've got stuff going on in my life, I've got a me problem. And that tends to be the case here. So the other study that I found really cool, and it's in the book, and I hope y'all will get it. We have a few more copies for 10 bucks in the back if y'all want to pick up the circle maker. But um, I thought this study was really cool. In the, in the music, let me make sure I'm going to read it wrong. In the school, the, the Germ, in Germany, the Berlin Academy of Music, I was going to call it the School of Music, so that was good. The Berlin Academy of Music, they did a study, and basically they had people that were at the same age in an equal playing field as far as talent goes. And so they just watched them for a number of years to see where they ended up. There was a group of students that were really good. They, were good, they were good at playing, but they would never make it a career 
They were just really good musicians. And then there was a group that were excellent. They made it a career. And then there was the best of the best, the ones that, that reached the highest level in music, the ones that were absolutely phenomenal. And there was one consistency with those three groups, and it was the amount of time they put in practicing. In the first group, they averaged about 4,000 hours in their lifetime practicing their instrument. In the next group that became professionals, they averaged about 8,000 hours. And in the last group, the best of the best, they had 10,000 hours of practice. And I don't want y'all to misunderstand this. Of course, practice matters. Of course, practice matters. But talent's good, too. You know, because, like, Michael Jordan was the best basketball player of all time, and you LeBron fans, it's fine, I love you, you're just wrong. Michael Jordan's the best basketball player of all time, and a lot of the reason that he was the best is because he practiced hard, and a lot of the reason is because God gave him a lot of gifts. But I want y'all to understand something. There is a consistency with every great athlete or every great musician. There's a consistency, and you will rarely find exceptions. People can point them out, but their demise is probably coming. They work harder than everybody else. Like, they have a work ethic and a drive that is unbelievable. And you look at them and go, man, that cat's crazy. Honestly, they're kind of crazy. They work so hard at the sport or the music. They work so hard. They are so single-focused on it. And listen to me. When you say that and you think prayer, you think no way, right? And we think, dude, like I don't pray that much. Like I'm just going to pray once a day. All right, just by show of hands, this is what I did last week. But this is just for fun and be honest and don't feel bad and I'm not fussing at you. How many people, honestly, every day last week, you read the Word? You read the Bible every single day, seven days, seven days. Improvement, that's awesome, I'm going to give you a hand, that's awesome, that's improvement from last week. How many people prayed every single day? You prayed, that's awesome, that's improvement. Hey, look, listen, listen. Um, we can't expect. The reason I did that is because I need you to understand this. We can't expect God to think of us as persistent prayers or people that so deeply want a change of God to happen if we can't say that we talked to him every day last week and we got in his word every day last week. If for the last seven days it wasn't something that was important, and listen, by the way, if you don't have a Bible, we want you to have one, and so if you'll see our guest services people in the back, they will give you a Bible. We want you to have a Bible that you can get in every day because we want you to become a circle maker. We want you to have a conversation with God every single day. And so I just want to give you two quick things, and it's going to be, it's going to be just that today. I want to give you two ways that I can become a circle maker. Number one, to pray in circles, I must not lose heart. What does that mean? I, I can't give up. I can't let things get me down when I don't see answers. I cannot lose heart. I want y'all to turn to Luke 18, and um, it's the parable that Jesus told his disciples of the, of the persistent widow. It, it was the woman that wouldn't give up. And I love this story. Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 1, he said, he told a parable, he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversaries. So here's the scene, the scenario. We'll set it up in the Bible. This is what Jesus was telling them is, look, there was a guy and he wasn't a good guy. He didn't care about anybody but himself. He was completely selfish. He didn't love God. He didn't love his people. He just completely cared about himself, and, and, but a woman 
had to have justice and had to come to this judge. She had no choice. And so instead of giving up when he said no, or instead of looking at the, like, look, I've got to go to that guy. If that's the only person that can change my fate, I'm going to give up because that's what I would have done. Instead, what, he, what she did was she kept coming back. And it says that in the Word. Every day she came back. I want you to think right now, okay, in your life, if you're a person here that's trusted Jesus as Savior, you're a believer. And if you're not, we want you to hang with us because we're going to get to you in a second. But if you're a person that's, that's trusted the Lord as Savior and, and you, you know Him, I want you to think of the areas in your life that, that you've seen difficulties come and, and you've prayed and you've seen victory. Because there's one that comes to mind immediately. It was 1997 that I really started following Jesus. It was on a mission trip, and, and I knew the Bible well. I knew everything about it, but um, pride was really my God at the time in basketball, and I had never really followed Jesus. And, and in that year, everything changed, and, and I really started following Christ. I had a moment that I just said, Lord, I give you everything, and I started following him. And at that moment, I, I began to... Without knowing it, I didn't know Circle Makers or any of this stuff existed. I just started doing it. I, I began to, to think of friends and family that I knew weren't followers of Jesus, and I began to circle them. And one of them was my best friend, Daniel. And I, I just, I remember finding out that he wasn't saved, and it broke my heart because he was always in church like I was. I just assumed that he was a Christian. And so I, I started reaching out to him, dude, do you know the Lord? Nah, man, I like, I know all about it, but I'm just not. And I remember one afternoon, we were at church just like this. It was an all-youth service at the old sanctuary at, our, at my home church. And um, one of my very good friends named Dave preached that day. And I saw Daniel stand up. And like a baby, y'all, I was a jock teenager. You know, I was an athlete. And I wanted everybody to think I was cool. And, man, I just wept. My, I saw my best friend come up and... They let me have the microphone, which was a terrible idea because y'all know, know I talk too much and I talk too much then. And, and I got the microphone and I just said, it was, it's amazing because every single day, another guy and I had called his name out for about six months. We had begged God for him to be saved and he was. That is victory in circle making. But that's not always how it happens because his dad was another person that I circled. And almost 20 years Almost 20 years, I prayed for him every day. I had his name down every day when I prayed. I skipped days, obviously. I wasn't a circle maker every day. So during the seasons, that, and when I journaled, I would write Danny's name down. And I, wrote, and I prayed for him nearly every single day for 17 years. And I'll never forget, um, I got to do my um, best friend's wedding Actually, it was 22 years. I got to do my uh, best friend's wedding, um, and it was, it was an awesome, awesome time. And um, it was um, April of 2009, and really cool. And, and it was the first wedding I ever, I ever did was, was in April of 2009, and that was a really cool thing for me because, you know, we grew up together since the third grade. We were best friends and doing all that. And, and his dad and I had an opportunity uh, they got married at Polly's Island, and on the beach, we just had an opportunity to walk and talk, and, and we shared stuff together, and I got emotional with him, um, and he always joked with me. I was like another son to him. Daniel was his only son, and, and he said, um, what's, what's wrong, man? You know, what's going on? And he was proud of me, you know, for being a pastor and everything, and I said, dude, look, man, you're rich. I mean, the Lord's blessed you tremendously, and he has. 
and you've got a lot of stuff. You've seen a lot of good things happen in your life. You're related to some really cool people. But man, at the end of the day, you don't know Jesus. And I mean, I, I wasn't weeping, but I was real misty-eyed, you know. And I thought, this is going to happen. It's going to happen right now because I've been praying for however many, 15, whatever years. And Sue, his wife, had been praying for over, 20, over 40 years. I'm sorry, over 40 years praying for this man. It's going to happen right now, no doubt about it. And he got emotional. And he hugged me. And he said, I appreciate you praying for me. And he didn't get saved. And I was like, that, that can't happen. Like, that, this was the time, God. Like, I remember, I remember being at home with Leah, and the next day was the wedding. And I said, Leah, it had to happen tonight. Like, seriously, how did it not right then? So the next day, the wedding happens. It went awesome. We actually stayed in his beach house that week as a wedding present. He gave us the beach house. It was spring break um, of Leah and Leah's school year. And so we stayed in the beach house, and obviously we stayed in touch, and a little over a month later, I got a phone call from him, and he said, hey, look, you want to go to eat at uh, the Beacon Drive-In? I was like, yeah, that sounds good. And Dave, who helped in Leah and my wedding and also preached the day that Daniel got saved, and Danny grew up together at Spartan High, and he said, um, let's all eat together, let's hang out. And I could tell something was going on, and you know, y'all have all been to the Beacon probably. We walked in, we went straight ahead in those plastic white chairs. My rear end's so big, I'm afraid I'm going to bust them every time I sit down, so I'm worried to death. And we sit down, we're eating. And Danny says, dude, I've been doing a lot of thinking. Dave's talked to me for, since he got saved in 19-whatever, I can't even remember, and, and you've been hitting me up and all these other people, and I just don't know. I've been doing a lot of thinking. So Dave and I gave our best gospel presentations we could. We had rehearsed it a thousand times, you know, and, and we're giving, oh my goodness, and you know, your, my heart starts beating fast because I know something's going to come. And I just laid it out for him. I said, Danny, I, you're family to me, and I don't know what would happen if you died and didn't know Jesus. And he said, let's do it right now. I mean, it was like one of the coolest things ever. Because I was like, holy cow, for, since 1997, I've been praying for you. And then just like that, you want to get saved. And your wife's been praying for you for over 40 years, every day seen a lot of rough stuff happen in their marriage, stayed together. And I'll never forget him bowing his head and praying and raising up and saying he was an awesome football player in high school and, and scholarships to colleges, and he said, man, that was better than any touchdown I ever had. Because I really believe that day he got saved. With all my heart, put a gun to my head, I believe it. And it happened because it wasn't my circle making. It was the persistence of his awesome wife and his family, and he had friends that loved him. We never gave up. We were like this widow that we weren't worried about the outcome. And listen to me. I want you to consider your life right now because I wish I had a bunch of stories to tell you, but that's the one that comes to my mind immediately. It's the thing in your life that, that keeps you up because you know you're supposed to be praying for it. And listen, most people will pray for a couple months. But when it comes to 16 years or, or when it comes to 40 years, for a loved one or a spouse, is it that important to you that you'll pray circles after circles and be persistent? Because persistency is the key to circle making. And that's what we won't do. Let's continue what this widow did. And this is such a great story, y'all. She said, um, for a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. 
And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. This is very important. Will not God give justice to his elect? You guys that have trusted Jesus, that know him personally, that is you. You are his elect. You are his people. You are his child. He knows you. He gave you the right to be called the righteousness of God, and you trusted it. Will he not give you more than that unrighteous judge will? Who cry to him day and night. Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Will there be one person that he finds faith like this woman who came to a person that she knew wasn't righteous? But listen, we have a judge. We serve a God that is justice and does care so much about us. And yet what we do with our prayers is we just give up. We're not persistent at all. And I am so guilty because I want now, I want tangible. I need to touch it and taste it. If it's going to happen, why can't I get to it? And it is so frustrating. But listen to me. Don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. And listen, the second thing that you have to do if you want to be a circle maker, if you want to really see things happen in your life that is unbelievable. So when you tell the stories, people look at you and say, holy cow, that is amazing. What happened? This is what happened. To pray in circles, I must have the confidence to praise through. I must have the confidence to praise through. I'm going to shift over to 1 Kings chapter 18 because I think this is such an awesome story. And it's just verses 41 through 45. But let me tell you what has happened. In, in chapter 17 of 1 Kings, uh, Elijah prayed that it would stop raining and for three years it completely stopped. And so the circle maker kind of came from Honey knowing the story of Elijah and following his lead. And in chapter 18, earlier, the, the prophets of Baal had come out and, and they had had this standoff and there were 200 of them and there was Elijah and, and he, they were calling down fire from heaven and they all tried and then he filled his thing with water and I mean, it was crazy what happened and there was no chance that it could happen and, and God brought fire down. And at that moment, it was time for it to rain. Elijah knew it needed to rain and this is what happened. Verse 41, and Elijah said to Ahab, go eat and drink, for there is the sound of the, of the rushing of rain. If you have a Bible and pen, or like I use an iPad to do my quiet time and stuff, if you have that, you can highlight it. That is such an awesome verse. Because obviously at this time the rain had not come and Elijah saw nothing, and yet he began to praise God for what was coming. He was warning King Ahab, listen to me, you need to go party it's about to get crazy up in here. The rain's coming. It's awesome. Did Elijah see the rain? No. It wasn't there. Did he really hear the rain? No, but I believe he had so much faith in the God that he served that he said, it's time to party and celebrate because I promise it's coming. I promise it's coming. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel. And he bowed himself down on earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, go, go up now and look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and he said, there's nothing. And he said, go up again seven times. And at the seventh time he said, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. Stop right here. Understand that he's got his servant up there and they're on top of the mountain 
and he told him to look. What was he looking for? He was looking for the rain, right? He's looking for, for what's coming. And he had so much faith, he told him to go back seven times. And he knew that it was coming. He had no doubt in his mind. And I just think to myself, Mark, like, you know the word. Gosh, you know what's going to come, and you have, I have so much doubt, it drives me crazy. Like, I just want to, I don't know, beat myself up, I guess. Because I know the truth, and I'm not like Elijah. My persistency is weak. I do not praise through what I believe God's going to do. I hope in me. The whole key to following Jesus is making him Lord of your life, making him completely in control of every part of my life and being a bondservant to him because that is what I am and he loves me so much. He wants to give me the blessings and that is not necessarily financial blessings. That is the best for me. Sometimes it is rough to be a follower of Jesus. Sometimes you go through the worst of times, but listen to me, there's always a reason that he treks you that area. Always. I don't always understand it. People ask me all the time, dude, why am I going through this? I wish I knew, but I promise you there's one that does. It's a friend that sticks closer than a brother, like John chapter 15 says. I wish I had that faith. So that on the seventh time I could see the cloud that's the size of a man's hand. And I believe that's it. There it is. I knew it was coming because I prayed. I prayed that he would stop the rain and he did. I prayed that the rain would come back and I had no question it would come. Listen, when I pray for rain, why don't I get the umbrella out? Why don't I get prepared? When I pray for rain, I just peek out. Nah, it ain't going to happen today. That's not what Elijah did. He told King Ahab, go celebrate. Get ready because it's coming. Let's get ready to celebrate because the rain's coming. It's party time. And then he had him look seven times, his servant. And on the seventh time, the cloud came. Behold, a little cloud, like a man's hand, is rising from the sea. And he said, go up. Say to Ahab, prepare your chariot. Go down, lest the rain stop you. Get gone, dude, because you need to get down the mountain. You need to get there because the rain's coming and it's going to get crazy. And a little while, and in a little while, excuse me, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. And he gathered his, excuse me, he gathered up his garments and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. I do want to see that someday, like if God has like a video camera in heaven or like a, there's like YouTube clips or something we can go back and watch. I do want to see how he ran ahead of the chariot, because I think that's pretty impressive. He like picks up his, I'm sure they wore some kind of robe thing, so he picks it up and that cat just took off and he got ahead of him. That's pretty crazy, so the Holy Ghost must have like given him, I don't know, I just, that's my ADD. But I think it's pretty cool. <laughs> but like here's the whole deal, okay? This is what you have to ask yourself. Because I believe with all my heart, we have awesome, awesome people. You guys are generous. You guys do so much. I believe in you guys, sometimes probably more than you believe in you guys. Because I know what you're capable of if you let the Lord have your heart. This is the question that you have to ask yourself is, are you willing to pay the price to be a circle maker? Because back in January, I told you guys that I'm going to lose weight. <laughs> 
and I'm almost exactly the same weight that I was in January when I set out to do it. Do you know why? Because for like two weeks, I was serious, man. Like, I'm going to do this. And I lost like five pounds. I was like, that's it? And I threw my hands up. And I eat terrible. Because praying in circles is a lifestyle change. It's not just something that you write down or on May the 26th you walk home and you say, I'm going to do this. Because you will for two weeks. But unless you let the Lord have complete control in a lifestyle change, you'll be like me in January that was going to start a lifestyle change. And I weigh about to the dot the same that I do now because I just had a good feeling in my heart and I set out a New Year's resolution. But for it to be a total change, it has to be a radical change that happens inside of you. And I guess the thing that the Lord's working on me the most of anything else is, honest to God, it doesn't matter what you look like. Doesn't matter what color you are. Doesn't matter how big your house is. None of that matters. And it is the most humbling thing in the world to realize that the only thing that matters to our Lord Jesus is this, where my heart is with him. He doesn't care that I can stand up and babble and people listen. He doesn't care. I'm not impressing God right now. Like if this is the only thing that I have to stand on, God, I preach today, you're welcome. But my heart's far from him. I won't be a circle maker. I'll be a person that talks a lot and dies miserable. I want to be known as the guy that was kind of crazy. He was jacked up, and he told everybody he was a messed up sinner. He told everybody his thought life was jacked up. He told everybody the truth. I'm just, I'm just messed up. But I do want to follow Jesus, and I do want to serve in a church with a bunch of other jacked up people that really love Jesus and want to be circle makers. And the only way that we do that is realize who we are messed up people that are desperately, desperately in need of Jesus. And so we're so desperate that we're like the woman in Luke 18 that keeps coming back and keeps coming back and keeps coming back and keeps coming back until our judge, who is great, he is God, so he doesn't have to fear God. He is the one that brings the rain. We keep coming back to him when we don't understand. And listen, some of y'all, it's a job that you've wanted forever. And it's not a selfish thing. It's how you can be used by God. Keep coming back. And for some of y'all, it's loved ones that don't know the Lord, and you've got to be persistent and keep coming back. For some of y'all, it's health. For some of y'all, it's so many other things. But listen, this is what I need you to know. You can't do it alone. And you can't do it personally at all. It is when your heart is fully surrendered to the Lord Jesus that you can become a circle maker. And I believe there's two groups of people in this room. I believe there's the ones that you have surrendered your heart to Jesus. Maybe it was at Easter. We celebrated like crazy or a couple people since then. And maybe it's 40 years ago for some of you. But the bottom line is, to be a circle maker and to have your prayers heard by the Lord Jesus, he has to know you. You have to be one of his elect. You have to be one of the people that has trusted him as Savior. If you've never done that, today's the day. There's never been a better day than May the 26th, 2013, to say yes to Jesus. Because there's nothing like having that peace and joy that you have when you know him. There's nothing like having a friend that sticks closer than a brother and being able to come to him when you're hurting the most of any time you'll have. A psychiatrist can help, a friend can help, but there's nothing that helps quite like Jesus. 
And so for some of you, I hope today will be that day that today is the day of salvation. And then listen, for the rest of you, and this is personal, but this is just what I want you to consider is what is it in your life? You don't have to spurt, shout it out loud. You don't have to say, I just want you to think, what is it in my life that I need to be persistent and I need to pray circles around because there's things that all of you have. There's not one person in here, I'm telling you. Okay, if you're a seventh grader, or if you're 80 years old, there's not one person in this room that doesn't have things that they need to be persistent and pray and beg God, get on your face, make it a priority in your life that every single day I will spend time with God. And when you do, you celebrate because you know the rain's coming. Will you bow with me? I just want to give you, I just want to give you a couple opportunities to respond today, um, and I'm going to do it a little bit different today than I normally do, um, just simply because I feel like I'm supposed to today. I'm going to start with this, um, and I just want your complete and total honesty, like the question, how many people read the Bible every single day this week, and how many of you guys... I'm not trying to scare you. I'm not trying to... How many of you guys know for sure based on the fact that you hear from God, based on the fact that you have a relationship with Him, like John 17, 3 says that this is eternal life that I know the Lord Jesus. Like I know Him personally. How many of y'all hear from Him every single day because you know Him. He is yours. Even when you're sinning, the Holy Spirit convicts you. How many of you guys know that you know that you know that you know there's no doubt in my mind? I want you to raise your hand so high you almost pull your shoulder out of socket right now. How many of you guys know Jesus? Raise it high. No one looking. Just be honest. Keep them up for me if you don't mind. Thank you very much for your honesty. Um, hey, if, if you didn't raise your hand, I promise I'm not going to embarrass you. Will you just look right here? I'm not even going to try to make eye contact with you. I just want you to look this way. Um, hey, my question to you is, um, how long are you going to let your pride or something else keep you from a right relationship with God? Because um, I hurt for you. I don't even know to pray for you specifically, and I didn't this week, but I hurt for you because um, God wants to have a relationship with you so bad, and that blows my mind that God cares that much about me, and he cares much, that much about you, that he went to the cross and took our shame and took our sin so that we could be given the right to be called the child of God. It's not just escaping hell. It's a lifestyle change that he comes in and becomes Lord of my life. So this is what I want to ask you today, and I'm not going to embarrass you. We're going to do it different, I promise. I just want to know, is there anybody in here right now that would raise their hand and say, Mark, right now, where I sit, I want to pray with you, and I want to get saved. I just want you to slip your hand up if that's you. Right now, I want to, I want to, I want to get saved. Raise your hand high if that's you. Thank you, bud. Anybody else? That's one. Anybody else bold enough to say, yes, that's me? Yes, that's me. Hey, right where you sit, will you just pray with me? You don't have to pray out loud. 
Just pray with me. Uh, Lord, more than anything else in this world, I want a relationship with you. I want to know you personally. I want to walk with you. I want to go persistently to you and, and, and cast my cares at you. And the reason that I want that is because before I loved you and I asked you to come in my life and change me, you loved me. So I'm giving you my entire life today. I'm giving you everything. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for my sins, even though I don't deserve it. God, I want to be a man or a woman that walks with you for the rest of my life. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Amen. Hey, will you keep your eyes closed? If, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, um, what I'm going to ask you to do as we respond in just a second to the next one, I want you to just get up and walk to the back um, where that big black room is. Um, there, we got a couple uh, we got a couple people in the back that want to give you a Bible and we got a bag that has a bunch of stuff in it that, that we believe is a good starter kit um, on your walk with Christ. And so I'm just asking you um, in just a second will you get up and just walk to the back and listen for everybody else this is what I want you to consider. Almost 90% of the people in this room raised their hand and said they are followers of Jesus. So, so this is what I need to know. What's the one thing? Like, what's the one thing? Or what's the couple things in your life that you need to get desperate for God over? Because you're not going to fix it. Or you can't change it. And only a miracle of God in your life can happen. Because I'm telling you, if you had told me in 2000 or 2004 that my best friend's dad was going to get saved, I would have said... That sounds awesome. But I wasn't praising. I wasn't praising God for what he was going to do. And so I'm just asking you right now, as we stand to sing, some of y'all need to make your chair your altar. And you need to turn around and you just put your face on that chair and you need to just beg, beg, beg God, Lord, change my heart first so that you can change the hearts people I live with. So I'm just inviting you right now to turn around. I'm not asking you to get up. I'm not asking you to come here. I'm just asking you to make your chair your altar. Turn around and just put your face in the seat and just beg God to do a mighty work. As Mickey and the band comes to play, I'm just asking y'all, make this, make this the place that you just beg God to do a miracle in your life. God, I'm so grateful that you care so much about me. And Lord, what we're going to do right now is just lift our hands worship you. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for these people. I'm grateful for all that you're doing. Lord, I'm grateful that because of the generosity of Four Points Church, you enabled us to give $500 to help the people in Oklahoma, and it's only because of their generosity, not anything that we've done. I'm grateful for the people that you brought us. I love you, Jesus. And right now, God, I pray that you'll bring a desperation among your people room so that more than we want our next meal we want you we love you Jesus